Bible reading today comes from Exodus chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. The Song of Moses and Miriam. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defence. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned into the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They have sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, is majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In, your, in the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy boasted, I will pursue them. I will overtake them. I will divide the spoils. I will gorge myself on them. I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. But you blew your breath and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will, be, will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as a stone. Until your people pass by, Lord, until your people you brought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. When Pharaoh's horses, chariots and horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought the waters of the sea back over them. But the Israelites walked through the sea on dry ground. Then Miriam the prophet, Aaron's sister, took her timbrel in her hand, and all the women followed her with timbrels and dancing. Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Thanks, Tanya. <clears throat> Good morning again, everyone. Um, you might like to have your Bible handy if you've got it with you. Um, to keep looking through that, that song together uh, this morning. Um, it's amazing, isn't it, how, how songs really stick in our memories. Um, like that song we sang just before, uh, He's the Greatest Name. Um, might, that song might be stuck in your head, right, for the rest of today. I know for kids' songs it's often the case for me. Because uh, it's amazing how songs get stuck in our memories. Um, does anyone remember that song, Baby Shark? Yeah, it sticks in our memories, right? And because that's the other thing about songs, isn't it? They don't just stick in our memories. As we just heard, they recall in us emotions and different responses, just like that song. If you, if you haven't heard the song Baby Shark, you don't need to go and look it up and listen to it. You will never get it out of your head. And I'm sorry for bringing it up. Uh, but songs, they get stuck in our, in our memories. And not just our memories, but they recall in us emotions 
and people and places that we associate different songs with. I said a few weeks ago that I'm a pretty big fan of road trips, and I think it's because of the time I spent uh, with my dad and our brother going on really long drives together. Uh, But whenever um, the, the song artist James Taylor, I don't know if you've heard of James Taylor, whenever he comes on, or the band Credence Clearwater Revival, whenever that comes on, I remember road trips. Uh, In particular, I remember one really long road trip that my family took to North Queensland when I was just a young kid, about seven or eight. And mum and dad uh, put on James Taylor, put on Credence Clearwater Revival. Uh, And whenever I hear the song Fire and Rain by James Taylor, I think of that road trip. I think of being really sad that I was leaving the family that we'd, that we'd been able to spend a lot of time with in North Queensland. I was quite sad. But then we'd also um, listen to Down on the Corner, if you know that song, by CCR. It's a great song. You should go look that one up when you get home. And I'd be filled with joy. They bring back memories from that road trip and emotions, all feelings and nostalgia just kind of come flooding back. I wonder if there are artists or songs that do that kind of thing for you. They just immediately transport you back in time and help you to remember things. Uh, They help you to feel things that are attached to particular moments and memories and to the really big events of your life. And for the Israelites, there really was no bigger event for them than the Exodus, when God redeemed them from slavery to the Egyptians. Uh, Now, we sing a lot at church, and I personally really love singing, but I know that not everyone does love singing. And this is a little bit, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine that not everyone knows, uh, but I really love country music. I just really love it. If I'm in the car by myself and it's a long drive, I crank some Zac Brown bands and I listen to some songs about fried chicken, right? I just, I love it. But I know that not everyone likes country music because we all like different kinds of music, different styles, different artists, different instruments. But we sing a lot at church, don't we? And why? Why do we sing? Christians have been singing for thousands of years, but why do we sing? The passage helps us see this morning that we don't just sing in church for the sake of the tradition of Christians singing together. There are actually lots of reasons why we do sing and why we should sing, but the passage today in Exodus chapter 15, it helps us see that we sing at church for the sake of remembering, and not just for the sake of remembering, but for the sake of responding as well. That's the line to remember this morning. We sing for the sake of remembering and the sake of responding. That's what we see in the passage this morning. So let's sing. The Israelites in this song remember how God has redeemed them. They remember how he rescued them. They remember what God has promised to do for them and leading them to his promised rest and his dwelling place. And throughout this song, they respond to God with praise and thanksgiving. It's a song that's about remembering the victory of God and responding with praise, with praise for what that victory means for his people. It's a song sung by those who have put their trust in God. In Exodus 14, verse 31, the verse before chapter 15 starts, we read this, When the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. The Israelites have just been through the biggest event of their lives. They've just witnessed God defeat the army and the leader of a nation who oppressed the Hebrew people for over 400 years, a nation that murdered their children, who kept the Israelites enslaved, who refused to let them go. And the Israelites are standing on the banks of the Red Sea, seeing the result 
of God's victory and judgment over the Egyptians. Just imagine hundreds of thousands of people standing there as the waters kind of begin to settle and lap up against the shore. And they see their once fearsome and powerful enemy just swept away. In Exodus 15 verse 1 this morning we read, Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. If you have an outline in front of you, if you read point one says that it's a song about the victorious God. And the, few, the first few verses help us understand this, what this song is all about. If you have a Bible in front of you, you might want to open it up. We're going to read through quite quickly together. It should be on the screen behind me as well though. The Israelites sing, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. So what's this song about? It's about a victorious God. He has rescued them and they are full of praise. But it's not just that God is the victorious God. He's also their personal God. And he's the God that they know that they can rely on, just like we can know. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God is the covenant God of Israel, and I will exalt him. Their victorious God is a personal God. He's their strength and their defense. How were the Egyptians defeated? It wasn't by the Israelites, it was by God. Who protected the Israelites in their great need? It was God. And in verse 3 to 10, the Israelites praise God for the way he has saved his people. The Lord is a warrior, the Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. Egypt's might was no match for God. His victory was final. And verse 7 continues, In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall. The deep waters congealed in the heart of the sea. See, the Israelites are in awe of the God who commands creation, who was in control over the chaos of the seas. You might remember last week how Carl helped us see how the waters of the sea in the Bible represent chaos, represent evil. But God is in control. They remember in verse 8 how the Egyptians had boasted. I will pursue, I will overtake them, I will divide the spoils, I will gorge myself on them, I will draw my sword and my hand will destroy them. These arrogant words of the Egyptians, actions that had once terrified the Israelites, that had caused them to cry out to God for help, are now a memory of the failed plans of a nation and its ruler to thwart the plans of God to redeem his people. How did God deal with the might of Egypt with these arrogant words or verse 10 you blew with your breath and the sea covered them they sank like lead in the mighty waters all of the gods that the egyptians bowed down to all of the power they had accumulated for themselves and oppressing the nations and building up of their great cities it's all undone at the breath of the lord and the israelites their voices lifted up they marvel at the god who leads them in verses 11 to 17 who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. No one compares to Yahweh, our God. No one even comes close. Who is like you, Lord? 
no one. You stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. No one stands against God. The fate of God's enemies, it's inevitable. His judgment and wrath are sure and terrifying thing and a final thing. But what happens for God's people? What happens for those God loves? Well, we keep reading. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. In verses 13 to 16, we read of the nation's reaction as the people of God are led past them into the promised land. The Israelites have just gone through the Red Sea. God has parted it for them to walk through. Now God will part the nations around them, just as he has the sea, and they will walk through. Led by God to God's dwelling place, in verse 17, the sanctuary that God has made, finally into safety, finally into peace and rest. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized by trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. God will lead his people home. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. In what confidence is expressed in this song? In the God who is their strength, who is their one defense, that he will lead them home. And it's not just temporary. He's not just a temporary God. But verse 18, the Lord reigns forever and ever. The Israelites, after being saved, they sing to remember. And they sing to respond in praise for how God has saved them. And for what they know is to come. And it's interesting in verse 21, isn't it? When Miriam takes up the song. It's the same line as verse 1. But there's one small difference. Instead of saying, I will sing to the Lord, in verse 21, Miriam says... Sing to the Lord. I think Miriam sings this because what God has done for them, what God has done for us, is something that we should never forget. The Israelites aren't meant to just sing this song once and then forget it. Miriam tells them, sing to the Lord. It's an ongoing song. I don't know what your favorite album is, or maybe is currently, but the really great albums I remember listening to growing up, they had a certain feel or a certain signature of the artist writing it, or a theme that was returned to over and over again throughout that album from start to finish. Just imagine the story of the Bible is an album of songs that have been stuck together by the greatest artist of all time. Well, this song in Exodus 15, uh, possibly the oldest song recorded in the Bible by the Israelites, it sits right at the start of that album. But its theme and its subject, the victorious God's, the redemption of his people from slavery and death, well, it weaves in and out of the pages of Scripture. Now, we aren't the Israelites on the shore of the sea having just escaped the Egyptians, but we are a people who share in that song, who share in remembering and responding to the God that this song points toward. So this is a song that we share in two, point two, a song that we sing today. 
See, when we get to the New Testament and read of what happens on the cross when Jesus died for our sin, uh, we read this in Colossians 2, 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. God's salvation of the Israelites from Egypt always pointed toward a great and final salvation from slavery and death. We weren't enslaved to a nation, we were slaves to sin. Sin means rejecting God's place in our lives in order to decide for ourselves how we should live. The way Colossians 2 puts that is that we are dead, dead in sin, meaning that there was nothing we could do about it. The Israelites couldn't rescue themselves from slavery to Egypt, we can't rescue ourselves from slavery to sin. Man is destined, remember Hebrews 9.27, to die once and after that to face judgment. That is is what our fate was before Jesus. To stand before the eternal God and to be seen as his enemy. If Exodus is anything to go by, that is a terrifying thought. Because of the way we have rejected him, we were dead in sin. But on the cross, when Jesus died... We read the penalty we deserve to face was dealt with. Colossians 2 tells us it's because Jesus took our place. Colossians 2.14 tells us that the charge of our guilt, it's been nailed to the cross. On the cross where Jesus died, our Passover lamb, it was sacrificed in our place. Jesus has saved us from the penalty of sin. And just as God's salvation of the Israelites spelt the end of their enemies, the Egyptians, those who sought to thwart the plans and purposes of God for his people, God's salvation of us through the death of Jesus on the cross has spelt the end of the power of Satan, has spelt the end of the power of any being who seeks to thwart the plans and purposes of God. Colossians 2.15, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. And how did, he, how did he do it? He triumphed over them by the cross. See, the power of Satan has always been to point at those guilty of sin and to say to God, look, they're guilty. You need to judge that person. But Jesus' death on the cross has shattered that power because those who have turned away from sin and put their trust in Jesus to save them from it are no longer seen as guilty by God, but seen as innocent. We are alive with Christ because of it. If there is a reason to celebrate, this is it. Our God has brought us back from sin and death at the cost of his son Jesus, and along with the Israelites, we can say, the Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God And I will praise him, my father's God, the covenant God, who keeps his promises and I will exalt him. Singing of the redemption and salvation that has been given in our saviour, singing of the might and power and majesty of God and 
of his victory over evil and sin and death. It's something we still sing today. And just as the Israelites would sing to remember and respond to God, this is why we sing today. That's point three on your outline, why we sing today. Now, we can't really imagine the the emotions and the feelings that would have swept over the crowd of Israelites on the seashore, can we? But I wonder what the feeling was like for different people there as it all sunk in. There would have been great feelings of relief. There also would have been great feelings of exhaustion at the events of the last few days as they fled Egypt. Some would have been overflowing with joy and thanksgiving, just full to the brim, overflowing with it. I mean, did you see that? Isn't that amazing? But others would have been feeling numb, wondering if it was all really over, not knowing how to feel, the weight of the anxiety and fear and stress that has just been a constant companion to them, trying to find an outlet as they stare in disbelief at the source of their fear and their anxiety coming to such an abrupt and sudden end. Still others would have been awestruck, probably a little bit afraid. God has just commanded an ocean to be a tool for salvation in his hand and also a tool for judgment. In this room, most of us follow Jesus. Most of us are going through different things at the moment. Some of us are going through an easier time, others are going through a harder time. Some of us are feeling really joyful at different things that are happening in our lives and others are feeling the pressures and the stresses of life in a much more intense way right now. So this morning, why should we sing? Well, for the same reason as the Israelites. We sing because we remember that we are a redeemed people and we praise God for it. We do it to remind each other that we are a redeemed people and to remind each other about what that means. So imagine walking away from that seashore, the song that has just been echoing around hundreds of thousands of people. It eventually comes to an end as they turn and they walk into the wilderness where God is leading them and going before them. Imagine that the words of the song they have just sung begin to fade and they start feeling some of those pressures of life. Later on in chapter 15, the very next thing that happens actually after they stop singing is the Israelites realize that they have no water. They come to a place called Mara where there is a spring, but the water there is unfit to drink. Mara means bitter and they can't drink it. Now God has just commanded an ocean to part so that the Israelites can walk through the middle of an ocean. But what do they do when they come to a small body of water? after God has just parted an ocean. We read in Exodus 15, verse 24, the people grumbled against Moses, saying, what are we to drink? They grumble and complain. They don't remember. And in chapter 16, the same same thing happens when they get hungry. But listen to what they say in chapter 16, verse 3. It should be on the screen. They got hungry, the Israelites said to them, said to Moses and Aaron, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. What about those words that the Israelites had just been singing? The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. But they don't remember. They forget what it is God has done for them. They forget who they are 
as a redeemed and rescued people and that God was going to lead them to his dwelling place, to their home. And they grumble and they complain. And later on, as we know from Exodus 32, uh, they disobey God. They turn away from him completely. They make a golden calf out of all the gold that acquired from the Egyptians. They make an idol, just like the Egyptians and the other nations would bow down to. And the gold that was meant to be used in service to God, it's now used in disobedience to God. Uh, Why do we sing at church? We sing to remember, even in our darkest days, who our God is. That he is a God of victory. He is a God who rescues. He is our God. And we can trust him to lead us home. We can trust him to know what's right. We sing to remember why we obey God. Because we are his. And because he is our God. A personal God. He wants each of us to respond to him in trust and obedience because he will lead us home. He has rescued us from sin and death. Why would he not do what he says he's going to do and bring us to dwell with him in eternity, in our eternal home? Now, there are actually many ways we remember together and respond together to God. We do that in prayer, in Bible studies, in sermons, in children and youth programs, in conversations, in the Lord's Supper, in baptism, in obedience to God's word. There are many ways that we remember and respond, aren't there? But there's something about music. There's something about music, isn't there, as a tool that helps us remember and respond. Because music is memorable. Now, most of us will walk out of here, and the thing we remember and can recall most clearly from the service today is 100%, it's definitely the sermon. No, it's, it's the songs that we sing, isn't it? It's the thing that sticks in our heads and that we take away with us the most. They're the things that get stuck in our heads. If I say, we all like sheep have gone astray, you say, ba do ba ba If you haven't heard that song and you're like, that's weird. It is pretty weird, right? If I say, in Christ alone, my hope, you say, is found. If I say, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved, you say, a wretch like me. Songs are memorable. And when put to good use in church, they help us remember. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, we read, Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Helps us see a few things. Firstly, that songs help us remember the message of Christ, the good news of Jesus. And that when we sing together, we are teaching each other the truths of Scripture. And we are pulling each other up as well when we sing songs that come from Scripture. We are being reminded of Christ, pointing each other toward Him. This is why I'm so thankful for the way that Chris chooses songs for us here at TCU. He always asks for the passages that we are reading and that we are preaching from, and why because songs help us remember and respond, and the best songs, the only songs we should be singing, are songs that align with the truth of God's Word, that help teach God's Word, and that help us respond to God's Word, that it might be planted down deep in us, so that as we wander through the wilderness, we would not forget what it means that God has redeemed us, 
has made us his people, but that we would live in obedience to him in response to his grace. See, when you sing, you are not just singing between you and God. You are singing to lift up and encourage and teach everyone around you, to remind them of the goodness of our God. You are singing to help others in our church hear and respond to who God is in praise and in remembering who he is. And I think the other thing singing does for us is that it can help change and aim our affections as we do it. It helps us respond to God in a heartfelt way, whether that is actually out of sadness or grief, or if it is from joy. Music is helpful that way, isn't it? And that it helps us to not just express, but to feel in deeper ways. It's a great gift that God has given to us to help us respond to him. It's a great gift that helps lift up and aid the most important instrument in the room, which is actually God's gathered people. The voice of God's gathered people lifted in the unity of remembering and responding to God, of teaching and encouraging one another with the truths of Scripture, the truth of the gospel, of admonishing each other as we point one another away from desiring the things of this world to desiring God. We're actually going to sing now. Just like the Israelites, after being rescued from the Egyptians, were not aware of what the future would bring, they knew that God was going to bring them to their new home. And for us, it's the same today. And we sing with the same attitude of faith in God and in his chosen King Jesus, who we know will bring us home to be with him. Though that will involve trials and pain, as well as times of ease and enjoyment, we can sing these words, confident not in ourselves, but in the God who we sing to, who we remember, who we respond to in praise. I'm going to invite the band to, to come up now. And while the band comes up now, I just let me lead us. Uh, I'm just going to read out this verse, actually, that we're about to sing together. Uh, it says this, Though I may not know what the future brings, I will watch and wait for the Saviour King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of Days.